0: Welcome to another episode of General Nerd Sense, the podcast from S.H.I.E.L.D. War Productions where we talk about anything and everything, oh generally nerdy, hence the name. And on this episode we have myself, John. And Jacob. And we are tackling a dilemma or issue or general quandary that I feel like a lot of tabletop players encounter at least one or two or more times in their... I have it all the time. All the time, which is kind of... Quote unquote buyers are more sort second garing second guessing their character choice in any particular setting where they you know it's a fantasy or sci-fi or whatever it's just they've made themselves a character but they've also made a couple of other options and then as soon as they pick on one they choose one they instantly like but what if when we were going into this question I was
1: I was originally like well I mean yeah. Whatever, I guess. But then I, I started to think about it, I'm like, I do this with every character. Mm-hmm. Every time I get a character, i'm I'm always planning for my next character instead of planning for what to do with my current character. right. And there, there's actually the more I looked into this, the more I found it to be true. I mean, especially with the va with Voss and the doctor, right off the bat, I kind of had that initial buyer's remorse, and I, I always get that through the first couple sessions before I kind of settle down into my character. And I was like, why does this happen? Right.
0: And it has a a pretty interesting answer. Because this is literally... Why does this happen and why does it literally... why Why is it such a common thing? Yeah, so
1: scientifically, like right off the bat, I knew there was basis for this. And you can kind of see it everywhere. It's the same reason why looking for a new meme is always more interesting than going through your old memes. Or, you know... Whatever piece of information you're doing, whether it's browsing through random articles on Wikipedia right, or just looking up whatever comes to your mind. Right. And scientifically, it does have pretty hard backing.
0: And there's a couple scientific studies that, that went into this. But um, you didn't expect there to be science in this one. I know. You're about to do some book learning to put your thinking caps on.
1: The first one I found kind of by chance, um, but it was a study, and it, it does relate, I promise. Yes. But the first study uh, kind of relates into the idea, if you're looking through and trying to decide on what character you want to do for your next one. Right. And you're going through all these awesome, fun character ideas, but you finally decide on one. Yes. Now, what the study does is, it was they did it in three parts. The first part of the study... They showed people a bunch of threatening faces, yes. and then over time they reduced the number of threatening faces. Now you'd think, okay, your your brain's thinking, okay, is this person threatening or not? Yeah, they're threatening. Okay, a lot of these people are threatening. The next study, they were like the next time they did it, they reduced it, and so forth so forth over the duration of the study.
0: How'd they get so many pictures of me driving?
1: <laughs> well, uh, you or got grocery any- shopping. You know, there's a Google Google map or, uh, mapping vehicles
0: uh, have more than one purpose, I guess. I guess so, yeah. It's not that I'm generally threatening. It's just I've got that resting neutral face that i just... I've got angry face all yeah. the time. Nothing I can do about it. I'm not actually mad. I have... I promise I'm actually really approachable. I just look like I'm mad. I, I always have that
1: face where it looks like I'm just, like, not having any one shit. Mm. I and mean, it's mostly just my thinking face because I'm sitting there like, okay... What what am I what am I doing? My face just goes into like stay away from me. I'm I'm processing. Right. Anyway. Anyway. But over time they they reduced and what they found is even though they reduced the number of threatening faces, mm. people still found more faces threatening even though they weren't as threatening. And they're like, okay, so you know. They're, they're finding a similar amount of threatening faces over time, even though these faces, if we showed them to them at the beginning of the study, wouldn't be that threatening right. to them compared to the others. Right. So it, it starts to give the idea of. Maybe people consider threats depending on how many threats they've recently seen. Right. What what their mind Mm -hmm. is predisposed to be looking for. So the next one, they showed them a bunch of blue and purple dots of varying hues. Okay. And as they reduced the number of completely blue dots and blue tinted dots, participants started calling only slightly purple dots blue. Huh. So... They looked at it, and as this progressed, you know, once there's not as many blue dots, they're like, okay, maybe this one's sort of blue. So the researchers were thinking, okay, maybe this is just uh, a visual process. Right. So in the, in the third part of the study, they gave the uh, like the research participants a bunch of scientific studies, and they were asked to see which ones are ethical and which ones aren't ethical. Okay. And as they started to reduce the number of ethical, unethical research studies, the participants started calling even the ethical studies unethical. Because they were told to look for the unethical ones, even though they weren't there. Yeah, or decide which ones are unethical. Not gotcha.
0: specifically looking for it, but decide which ones are unethical. Mm-hmm. And as they're the ones that were clearly unethical became fewer and fewer. They kind of had to. They, they were looking for something that... Just any little, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. unethical bit that they could kind of like, well, I guess that counts as unethical.
1: So this led to the idea within the study that the human brain, for example, with th- how threatening a face is or how blue a dot is, it doesn't take the piece of information and put up a metric and decide on whether or not it's ethical or whether or not it's blue. Because that requires a lot more energy. Hmm. What what the brain does is it compares it to the recent things it's seen. Okay. So if you know if you live in and, and you can see this, if someone lives in a sketchier part of town, and there's a lot of people who might look threatening to someone who lives in like the burbs, and right. it's it's a really nice town, they're not going to find that many people. Thrending looking Right Because their brain Is comparing them Like that one person You know Someone might find threatening to I don't know Maybe a crackhead That tried to Like chase them Right A while back Or you know When you're looking At the colors Your brain isn't Trying to decide Okay what is the Exact hint uh, Like tint Of this color It's okay What is this tint Compared to the last Blue colors I've seen Right And it's It's in that like measurement of how fun a character is to play Mm -hmm. compared to the other characters you thought of recently. So when you're comparing all those characters and you make that choice of this one's going to be the most fun to play as you're playing it, you're kind of second guessing yourself on that. Okay. I've I saw all these interesting fun playing characters, but I don't know if this one would really be as fun as compared
0: to what I've played before or Or the list, or the roster that I created mm-hmm. when I was trying to decide on the character for this particular campaign. Exactly.
1: So, one of the ways to kind of combat that is, you know, understand that your brain kind of wants to look for anything that would be more gratifying to itself. Right. And, and that's where it kind of ties into the more prominent study that I was looking for, where they they... They more or less gave monkeys um, like a touchscreen computer. And there's a research center in Japan, I believe, that does this. And it's, you know, cognitive functioning and uh, how the brain uh, of, of a monkey processes information. Because they're a very similar animal cousin of ours right. sort of thing. Just in relative.
0: Re- yeah. distant genetic relative. Closest genetic relative. Whatever. Their brain works most similarly mm-hmm. to ours.
1: Yeah. So as they're going through the study, you know, it has a lot of more complex parts. But what it breaks down to is instant gratification versus reward for gratification. Right. And what they found is within uh, within the like brain, the part of the brain that's kind of responsible for that gratification mm-hmm. is the mid-level brain. And... What it, what it does is it codes for both primitive and cognitive rewards. So it gives you rewards for both like that instant gratification and how I like to describe it is that gratify, uh, instant gratification that's going to come later on. Right. And that's why your brain the likes... The promise of instant gratification yeah. later. And that's why your brain likes information is, you know, sure, like eating something really good is awesome now, but if you can find where someone bought that really good food from... You can get that later.
0: Right. So your brain you like knowing that.
1: Yeah. So your brain wants you to learn this so it, it can learn it later.
0: And uh, eat it. And capitalize on it. Like, yeah. Like so you find a really good restaurant. Like you, you know, go to, you know, like, hey, I've never been to this, you know, you want to go out for food? Okay, cool. Sure. Let's go to this one place. You've never been there before. Like, okay, whatever. And you try it. it's like, oh, this is really good. And now I know that this place is really good. And now anytime I'm like, well, where can I go for food? Oh, I can go to that one place.
1: Yeah. So, over time, your brain does this for a wide variety of things. And if you have that, you know, that that learned experience of a fun-to-play character, right? your brain wants to learn how to get that fun, you know, dopamine release. Right, how to redux on it. And within that first session, it might not always be the most interesting or most exhilarating experience you've had role-playing. Right. Which is why your brain's like, starting to second guess itself it's well, starting to go think those other characters
0: that were similar to the ones that I, i've done before yeah or like one of those other characters that i was thinking about might have been a better fit for the situation that might have had a bit more of an effect or been a bit more memorable mm-hmm. um yeah that ties into one of the points that i was talking about is like yes sure but this is the one you've got Yeah, so give this one an actual chance beyond first session. Like, give give the character you've decided on a genuine chance. I'd say call it four to five sessions before you're really like, okay, I'm not feeling it. Mm -hmm. Before you you really can conclude, yes, I'm not feeling this character.
1: Yeah, and I I actually had a similar idea on that. Just, Just tell yourself that, you
0: know, no matter what you chose, you would have been second guessing yourself. Right, that's another way to kind of, like, you know, reframe and refocus that second-guessing thought of, you know, like, Mm -hmm. it's not that I'm second-guessing this character, just, no matter what, remember, like, just remind yourself, no matter what, literally no matter what character I chose, I would be having this exact same conversation with myself. Yeah, and at least
1: for me, that works a lot, because I'm like, I, I, when I was playing the doctor and wasn't feeling him in the first couple sessions, I was like, you know what, this is the exact same thing I was feeling with Voss. Right. And same character I played before is, you know, right off the bat you're going to be second-guessing yourself because you're still trying to find your place within their shoes and how to role-play with them and right. how, how to get that experience and that fun. Um, and, and remind yourself that this character will be fun. You know, it's it might not seem like that right now, but in the future, the more you role-play as this character, the more fun you will have. Right. And if you just remind yourself that, hey, there's going to be fun to come it can kind of get your brain excited to work on it. Furthermore, within that kind of scope of trying to convince yourself that this is going to be a fun character, start planning what you would like to do with your character. And once you start, you know, coming up with plots, coming up with plans on how, you, how you're how you going to relate with this character, what you want to talk about, and you go through that more, your brain... Likes rewarding you for putting together the plan,
0: putting basically putting a puzzle together. Exactly, and that ties into the point that I had, which is you know it's kind of the same sort of premise, which is you know kind of avoid looking back at what might have been with what are the other characters and focus on uh, planning the, how did this character will fit into the story, or adventure, or whatever that you are that it's currently in. Don't worry about what it what you might have had. Focus on what you've got and making it fit into the setting you're in.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's one of those. One of quote, those situations where you, you've you been dealt a metaphorical hand of cards, and right. you have to play those cards.
0: It, yeah. It'd be and, the
1: same thing if you were playing, like, Magic the Gathering, or something along those lines, where you you drew the cards out of your deck, and you think you have a shit hand, but now you have to think of how you're going to play this in the puzzle. Like, well, it's the one I've got. Make, how do I make
0: this work? Yeah. Or, to quote... One of my favorite shows, Vikings. Don't waste your time looking back. You're not going that way. That's that's a great mindset to have, though. Like, yeah.
1: No matter what path you're you're given within that RPG, make the most out of that experience at the time. Right. Because ultimately. You'd be switching, if, if you just gave in to that response,
0: you'd be switching characters left every and right, and you'd, you'd be the most fickle motherfucker, and no one would want to play with you, like, unless you're, I mean, like, might work, a way this could work would be if, like, you know, everyone kind of had the option, where, like, say your party of players is part of kind of a guild or rebellion or whatever, they've all kind of got a pool or a roster of characters to choose from, you know, so they're like... So your GM says to me, the you know, star v says, like, okay, here's, you know, the mission, whatever. Like, you know, briefing room, all of the characters are in there. Here's the mission, whatever. Who wants to volunteer? Who wants in on this? So then each player can pick the character that they want to take out on that particular mission. It all ties in together, but everyone's got the option of choice. Yeah. So you can have that roster of characters that you then choose from each session. It would be a lot they more work for the GM and it would be a lot more work for the players overall because it would be hard to get invested in each character. But, uh, you know, maybe, maybe not. Like, it's a way of going about it. Honestly, the best way it can work,
1: stop playing a player and play a GM. (laughs) Playing a GM for me, I get a choice of so many different characters I can play. Right. And I can test how those work. I can play with them in my head. I can play with them by throwing them at the players and role-playing with them. Right. And honestly, over time, playing all those different characters has kind of gotten me into the mindset of... I kind of like playing one character every now and then, just playing that character through. This is my this is my character. It's my only character. It's the only thing I have to focus on. And maybe that's just conditioning my brain to be like, okay, if you want to play all these characters all the time, it's gonna suck because you're GMing, right? And I, I've just conditioned the thought of, okay, I've I get to play a lot of characters. To oh my god, I have to deal with players, right? And. I do have to say, GMing has made me a better player, and maybe to some regard, kind of cut down on that
0: secondhand remorse right. a little bit—the second guessing it's just like the what ifs. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Furthermore, like going back to ro- like getting into your character, once you just kind of buckle down and forget, you know, that mindset of you know what, I'm I'm not having fun with this character right now. I I don't want to play him it does make you enjoy the character more. And right. once you start enjoying that character more, you kind of get attached to it a little bit. Yeah. It's not great to get, like, super attached in case they die or if if the campaign's over because then... It's just tabletop blue balls. Yeah. Just like,
0: uh, there was so much potential for that character and now I'll never get closure! Yeah. Yeah.
1: But at the same time, you need some sort of, like, connection to that character that makes you want to come back and makes you want to keep playing him and not go to a different character
0: right like even if it's like like even I mean like you do and you don't to a degree like because even if you don't necessarily have that kind of emotional connection to Mm -hmm. them you can still have the connection of like I'm giving this character a fair shot I'm going to see it through to the end even if I'm not having a particular time I'm just going to keep playing this character and give it my all just to see just to grow as a player Mm -hmm. and just to try something new just to say that I tried something new just to, you know, break out of my usual pattern cycle of characters I play, whatever, just to try something new, just to prove I can. And also, like, maybe by his end, I will actually quite enjoy this character type or this character class or this character as a whole or whatever. And, sure, that might happen. Then the, the end of the day, maybe not, you know.
1: Ultimately, most of the time, you are going to enjoy that character. Right. Because even as much as I was like, okay, the so Doctor is kind of a burden, because, you know, he doesn't talk a whole lot, and I, I have to go into excruciating thought just to think of how I can like role-play with other people right but when he died I was still like oh oh, I, I liked him I liked him as even though of how much I hated him right but we we all do that
0: we, we, we that, all have that kind of connection the more time you spent invested in something mm-hmm. the more connected to, the more bonded and connected to it you're going to end up being kind of whether or not you realize it until that moment of where the bond is severed
1: because it's also one of those things where the the brain likes habits the brain likes going through and doing the same thing because again going back it requires less effort if right. your brain's just kind of used to doing it that right. you know why gamers will get great muscle memory for twitch mm. shots and stuff like that if they practice it
0: and and why it's so fucking frustrating getting into those habits yeah because you're learning it's a new thing to learn like yes there's that word of like oh i'm getting you know that those moments of gratitude and reward whatever like where you see yourself you notice yourself getting better at it but it's the moments between those the times between those moments where it's just kind of a grind mm-hmm.
1: now as as a fellow smoker
0: how how hard is it to break habits very jacob it is i haven't quite tried to break habits yet but you know honestly I, soon
1: but we'll see i've quit a couple times and not too much longer later, it's like, well, everything kinda sucks. I'm gonna go back into that habit.
0: Yeah. And
1: and if you constantly work at playing a character through to the end, your brain's gonna get into that mindset of I want I wanna keep this habit going. If right. if I stay and If I stay to the course and I commit like, I'm committed.
0: I'm committed to this character. Mm-hmm. Then it will get that gratification. Right. And even if you don't enjoy the character, Mm -hmm. that gratification of, I saw it through to the end, even though I wasn't particularly thrilled at the time. That personal, just that point of personal pride.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, I've gotten, and and you can do this with, you know, bad habits or good habits, because back when I was in the habit of working out, it was really easy to go and work out. Yes. Now that I kind of laxed on that, trying to get myself to go and work out again, it's like, oh, my God. Right. It's hard to do. It's like, I don't want to. It's hard to form that habit yes. depending on what it is. Yes. I mean smoking or you know doing drugs or some drugs it's an easier habit to form than to break but at the same time you know once you get into a good habit no matter what it is it's going
0: to be hard to break as well. Right. In a way I think one might avoid the kind of second guessing a character sort of thing cuz I feel like this happens with the people who kind of create like a roster of character concepts or ideas or even like they flesh out, you know, their character sheets. Maybe not with full backstories whatever, but you know, they at least you know, you know, flesh out the stats and the items or whatever. And it's like maybe don't create the roster, create just one and flesh out that, and that's the only one you got. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about, you know, oh, I could do this one, this one, this one or, you know, that one, that one, that one. Just like you don't have those different options available to you. You've just got the one, and you're going to work with that one. Um I do something similar. For example, when I was making my most
1: recent character for this D&D campaign. Right. I, I just completely shot from the hit and went with my gut. I read through, like, a bunch of different classes, and I was like, you know what? I like that one.
0: I'm going to go with that one. I'm, I'm not thinking of anything else. I'm just going to make this one. I'm so glad you said that, because that ties into a point that I had, which is, if you're the sort of person who would maybe delve super high, you know, super deep into the rules of all you know, the classes and the games system in that hole, d- don't. Pick one that you like the thematic, like styling of, based on the class description alone. Don't worry about the rules. Don't yeah. worry about any of the rules. Like, even if you must, like, even if your DM or GM or whatever must sit down and just create a brief couple sentence summary of each class, just for the general premise of each class from a thematic standpoint, for to present you with to avoid you second guessing your character. Just so you have like, oh, I like the sound mm-hmm. of that one. Pick that one, and then you can. In, if needs be, have your GM just remove the rest of the resources from you, so you can't second guess. Like, well, what about, well, that one sounds cool too. And honestly, in real life, go with your gut feeling. Usually, your gut feeling is is correct. I mean, when it comes to this particular point, you know, like the thematic feeling. Mm-hmm. What do we say, Jacob? Rule of cool. Yeah, rule of cool completely. Now that could be that could be rather difficult. It's like, well, a lot of shit's pretty cool, guys. Like, well, yeah, we understand that. Which one's the, like, but which one sounds coolest to you?
1: As someone who got into forty k. And when I was having all the armies described to me, I went with the coolest one, which was humans. And I, I haven't gone into many other armies because now as a more adept 40K player, I've started looking at other armies. I'm like, oh, my God, this is so cool. But you know yeah. what? I'm I'm still kind of sentimentally drawn to my guard. Yeah. And from that time where I couldn't buy all these different armies and I just had to go with my original army. Yep. It's, it's that habit forming. Yep. But for me, I'll, I'll give kind of a personal example. I'm very bad about second-guessing myself. I do this all the time on tests and exams and stuff like that, where if, if I spend too much time on one question, all the answers will start being like, okay, you know, this, is th- this has multiple correct answers, even though if it doesn't,
0: mm-hmm. I'll just be
1: like, okay, but am I really remembering this correctly? So, Mm. what I try to do is I try to shoot from the hip and go for my first guess. Right. Kind of access that information, decide what I want to do, do it. And you can use that same thing when going through all the other classes like you described. Right. Shoot from the hip. That's why for this current campaign, I'm not thinking of any other characters. I'm just thinking of my one character and how I'm going to go through with that.
0: Yeah. Because it's the one you got. And... And I'm excited because... It might not be the best, might not be the most optimized mm-hmm. for the campaign head, but it's the one you got. So make it work.
1: Yeah. The more I plan with this character too, the more I'm attached to it. And yeah, that just kind of goes to show, you know, if you start planning right... Even before the the se- the first session, planning with other people and thinking of how
0: your character is going to interact with them and, and talking to them That's and a good making point, actually. those plans. That's a good point actually. Because I feel like this might be a thing that people run into if they haven't really been strongly communicating with the rest of the party in terms of Mm -hmm. what everyone else is doing with their characters in terms of just like okay so what are you guys doing with the characters i was like, like now you've got the information now you can kind of focus on building a character that would fit well with that um specifically with what everyone else is doing rather than just kind of like oh i like this rather like the sound of this one and i'll take this one but i've got you know chosen from a roster and it's like oh but one of these others would probably might have been a better fit for the party as a whole now that i know what the rest of the party consists of I feel like, you know, maybe that's not necessarily a failing on the players' part, but it's, you know even not necessarily failing, it's just kind of a an oversight on kind of all party on all people involved's part, and both the players and the GM for not like just getting everyone on the same page about what everyone else is doing character-wise. This is just all hypothetical straw man, by the way. <laughs> I I'd say it has some backing, at least with
1: my experience going forward with this campaign where I've actually communicated with the GM, asked if we can make parties beforehand. I'm also seeing that the players in the party are not second-guessing themselves as much. Right. Because people are already making those bonds, making those connections before the campaign even starts. And you know what's being brought to the table, literally. Yeah. (laughs) Pardon the pun. And it can kind of take that excitement away of what this person's going to bring, but... The reveal phase or whatever, but like... When I was going through and, you know, coming up with Xander... It was kind of a tedious process, but once I talked to the other players, and we actually held, like, a little role-playing session between the three of us yeah, because we were trying to decide on how our characters were all going to meet together. Once we started role-playing that and getting into it and coming up with these ideas and how we were going to meet up, how we were going to, you know, go to wherever the GM is starting the first session... right. I got so much more interested in my character because mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I have I have this base that I can now build off of. Right. And, you know, that base often works best in a group setting because you don't have to decide solely on what you think, but you can use the cues that other people give you and build off from there.
0: Right. There are fewer unknown hypotheticals and variables at play when you've just got concrete knowledge on what everyone's got in mind, what everyone focusing on what's being brought to the table, you can then kind of fill in the blanks a bit better, right? Which mm-hmm. it's kind of like, oh, you know, maybe the party need this, this, that, and the other, and it's like, well, now you know. Now you know what people are going for. Even if it's just that little powwow of just like, okay, this is what I have in mind for my, you know, what I want to do, all that sort of things. So again, communication with your party, communication with your group. Like, even if party members are hard to get a hold of, surely everyone has to communicate with the GM, right? Yeah. So just, if you can't get a straight answer out of people in a timely manner, just, Ask the GM what everyone else is up to in terms of core character concepts. If you don't want to spoil, like, the meat of the character reveal phase, whatever that people sometimes have with party introductions, it's like, what classes are being brought to the table? If nothing else, just ask the DM what classes are being brought to the table. Mm -hmm. Just so you know what utility you have available and what utility is yet to make an appearance. Yeah. I, I also see that
1: if you have someone of a unique utility you'll also feel a little bit better about that character because if for example you're going you're trying to decide on if you're going to go as a paladin or something else and then you find out that there's already a barbarian fighter in the party mm-hmm. being the strong arm of the party is not going to seem quite as
0: fun right because there's already someone else who can who's a da- high melee, high melee damage dealer mm-hmm. so going something that's maybe a little bit more defensive
1: or maybe something that can help the party in a different way right? will make you feel more special and unique.
0: And that is ultimately kind of, I feel like, the motivation behind a lot of characters. They want to be... People want their character to be unique and special in a party mm-hmm. of unique and special characters. And that's totally fine. That's kind of... In fact, rather the point is to make your characters unique and memorable. Mm-hmm. Because if they're not unique and memorable, i It's not as fun. It's not... I hate to be critical, but... But I'd argue that it wasn't a very good character if it's not unique and memorable. Or Rather, maybe not. It's not that it's not a good character; is that it could have been a better character if it's not mm-hmm. as you you know, unique and memorable as some of your other ones. It's not a bad thing. It's a learning experience. That's all. Like you can sit down, and be like, okay, what made this character less unique and memorable? And again, that's something we've already covered mm-hmm. in terms of what makes a good tabletop character and all that sort of thing. But back onto the subject in hand, you know, avoiding that second guessing, I feel like. Can really you can really help yourself avoid this, I guess, just by communicating with the parties and figure out what's being brought so that you don't bring a, a, like a reskin or a rehash or something that's already being brought. Because yeah. then you won't be second guess like, well, if we'd had this instead of just a you know double down on this, we might have done you know this character might have been more interesting, whatever It's like, well, yeah, that's a really good point. Maybe if someone had had the gift of foresight to send a text or something to ask what people are doing, so, so you could not double down on something. Unless you kind of know what the adventure you're going into is, and like, okay, we might need to double down on specifically this. That might be an av- an opportunity for a character to really shine, even if they're not necessarily unique, that they're there to shine. Because, say, they're, the, their duplicate whatever has been incapacitated, otherwise indisposed, or were just otherwise occupied, and couldn't fill in the gap that they needed to double down of. And now you've got it, and you say your character was special because they were... They were not unique <laughs> because they were duplicate.
1: You, you your brain is also kind of hardwired to find uniqueness in normalcy. Right. And I mean, my characters will do this in the Imperial Guard campaign where, you know, several of their characters, even though at the end of the day, all of them have all been guardsmen. Yes. They're unique to them in their own way. Right. And in the case of one of the guardsmen having that necklace. That he's trying to pass from each guardsman. Mm-hmm. He's trying to find that consistent piece of normalcy between all of his characters. Yeah, And the brain likes, you know, consistency. It doesn't like a lot of complete change.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I'm, I'm also bad at this. I don't like a whole lot of change at, at once. Don't like change! Even though I, I kind of like that adventure and seeking to do new things, my I have to push myself into it. I have to be like, okay, I really want to do this because I know it will be fun. But also don't like change. I don't like things I haven't done before. Right. I
0: don't like new things. New things are scary and unknown. But that's also thing But then the you do the new thing and it's just like, the new thing was fun. It's like, yeah, you knew it'd be fun. Like I told you it'd be fun. You didn't need to whine the whole time. And... One of the easiest ways to
1: also kind of combat this second guessing and you know not wanting this change of, of pace for playing a character is is to kind of just snip off that that thought that's pr- like forming of is this character not as good you know you you can't stop that immediate feeling of you know I could have I could have gone better right what you can do is not, continue to follow that thought process right because the more you think and deliberate on that line of thought that is a negative thought process yeah and you're just gonna reinforce that your brain to be like okay i'm gonna think more about this negative thought but if you just start trying to think of something else or even think about your character
0: reframe and reword it yeah like this is going to sound i mean we already brought in science and psychology into this in the first place, like really out of out of the gate But, like, if you must read into um, cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy techniques, just in terms of rewording and refocusing negative thought processes, Mm -hmm. even for something as simple as, like, second-guessing your character. Because it seems like a silly thing to do for something, quote-unquote, so trivial, but if it really is, you know, something that is kind of negatively impacting your ability to enjoy a character, it's worth doing. Mm -hmm. It seems silly, but, like... Very few things don't.
1: Since you're going to bring in uh, cognitive behavioral therapy on this one, I'm, I'm going to take it one step further to uh, to philosophy. Going the stoic mindset where that's actually where cognitive behavioral therapy comes from. And practicing on those small things does have actually quite a bit of benefit in helping you, your brain, do that with larger things in your life. Right. The small things, you know, small changes make over a long period of time have a bigger influence than one big change happening really quickly. Right. Continents only move, you know, whether it's a couple
0: millimeters or centimeters a year, but they move a lot. But eventually they will. Listen, we start out with Pangea, but fast forward a couple million years mm-hmm. and here we are. Yeah. Now we can't walk or now we can't road trip from one side of all the landmass to the other. We have to fly or take a boat. Yeah. And Following that
1: kind of stoic mindset of, you know, not continuing to think about that bad thought eventually came, became the thought of cognitive behavioral therapy and negative visualization. And
0: yeah. I just thought I'd bring it up yeah. because it is relevant to just I, like the negative thought of, like well, if I'd gone with this character, it would have been better. or You know, maybe what you know, whatever. Like, if I'd done this, if I'd done that, like, yeah, if, but you didn't, you got this one, have fun. Mandatory fun! Mandatory fun. You this will be enjoyable. It is unavoidable. You will have fun. You cannot escape it. Those little maxims
1: are great too, and I do this throughout every day. I, I just threatening optimism. I well, whatever the maxim you choose is, mm-hmm. but if if you can't stop yourself from second guessing that character, repeat to yourself, you know, this is mandatory fun. You're gonna enjoy this. Mm-hmm. Or or something along those lines. And just keep saying that to yourself. Every time that thought pops in your head, think, no, oh, I, could have I like this character. Right. I, I
0: I like this character. You can't tell me otherwise. Right. Little voice in my head. Little negative Nancy in my head saying, I don't like this character. No, you're wrong. I like this character. I like this. Look at stat line. Really wonky character that I thought was a good <laughs> idea. I like this. This sucks and I like it. But not in the note of stats, though. Because I feel like this is what where people, a lot of people will kind of really get into the second-guessing in terms of just, like, the character's raw stat line. Because, yes, there are some gems, you know, let their players build the stat line, you know, they got your points by, whatever, your, whatever. If it's stats that really get, like, really chip you up in terms of just, like, optimizing without min-maxing all that sort of thing, if that's where you get hung up, let fate decide. Roll for everything! Roll all your stats randomly! Fate decides. It was never your choice to begin with. I, I do that for every character. I, I don't let Listen, myself I know choose that some stats. People, I, I know that some people do. But, you mm-hmm. know, there are some GMs who do pick stats, or you know, some players who prefer to pick stats. But if the player that picks stats is also the one who you know, kind of wishy-washy yep. on the character commitment, roll it, dice it, dice decide everything. When the dice gods decide, they have spoken, and their word is, they, their word is law. Yeah, you you can't fight the you, dice. But you cannot fight the dice. They'll just roll it again.
1: Funny how it's easier to accept a dice roll than your own
0: decision, your, your own, own decision, your own personal active conscious deliberate choice. Yeah, that that's why I roll for every character. I don't. Twas
1: fated. Though with my ro- most recent character, the rolls I had, my DM told me re-roll it. I because <laughs> the first set of rolls I had were all like <laughs> roll three d sixes for this stat and choose the two highest rolls or four D sixes and choose the three highest rolls them. Three of them are ones. One of them's a four. Yikes. I'm rolling gar- my guardsman dice right now.
0: <laughs> yes. I need You're, to you change. You were rolling your leadership dice, not your assault char- your charges and dice. Yeah. That's, that's not a good thing. Where's well, your problem? <laughs>
1: uh... But ultimately, even if that had been my role, I would have tried to make the best of it, right? And having you know that mindset of whatever happens, I'll try to have fun, right? Because sh- even even horrible, cl- uh, like clumsy characters, can still be kind of fun to play,
0: right? Like there's the- that bit where just, there's that you know again going back to that bit of like the more time you spend with the character, you're you're never going to become invested and emotionally attached to it, regardless of just how ungainly and clumsy and just like, this is such an albatross in the re- amongst the rest of the party just in terms of like, this character is literally good at specifically one thing and it's not walking.
1: <laughs> uh, and and I mean, sometimes just becoming that party mascot is also kind of fun. Right. And it's like, listen, you're you're going to fail at whatever you do, but your party's going to love you for it. Yup. You're going to fail at whatever you do except for the one thing you're really good at that might come up
0: once maybe twice over the course of the, of the campaign if your GM's really nice to you and realizes that you're not just going to abandon ship on that character. Like, they will hand they'll throw you the bone <laughs> once, and then you're know, like, Ah, I like that. It's like, okay, you're going to change the character now? Why would I do that? It's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now I have to figure out a way to shoehorn this one thing that they're good at at again into the
1: plot at some point later. Or just have that randomly come up a bunch of times, and everyone's like, wow. We, we were really we were guessing this this character's
0: ability, but he we seems com- to be amazing. Yeah, we would have been completely hosed without this character who's really good at do this one particular obscure thing.
1: This one character's really good at making torches, and that's it. Yeah. But
0: but holy shit. Or this one character really good at making twine out of bits of grass or foliage or whatever. It's like, we didn't think we'd need it, but man, it's come up like every session now. James <laughs> like, Yeah. How about that shuffles notes under behind TM screen? Just like, yeah, totally crazy how that hand happened by random chance. Shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. Tom the twine uh, twine
1: twister. <clears throat> well, wait, that's a bit of a tongue twister, a little bit. Now,
0: if all else fails, most extreme of circumstances, you've tried all of the things we've just mentioned, we've just brought up as potential solutions, and none of them have worked for you. A, we applaud you for trying, Jacob but if all, if all of those things have somehow not worked out, this is the most extreme solution, you diced it, fate. you didn't like what fate decided, okay, you can, you can guess what fate decided, fine. The GM decides for you, here's your character, that's what you play, you don't. You have no choice in the matter, you're not allowed to look at the rules, whatever. this is your character, the GM will ask you what each stat is, whatever, and that's it. They that, will have a copy of your character sheet so they'll know, and you won't have the opportunity to second guess. That was much more mature than what I was thinking. Actively
1: trying to get yourself killed. Actually <laughs> trying to get your play, your character killed.
0: Uh, well, as th- always, Jacob, it falls to me to be the voice of reason on this podcast. And isn't that a funny statement?
1: <laughs>
0: Again, I mean, you are the funniest guy. I'm the funniest guy I know.
1: But, but I mean, ultimately, that's that's actually a perfectly reasonable idea. Yes <laughs> and no.
0: Like, theoretically speaking, like. I mean, there are some, there are certain circumstances where the GM has a very specific story in mind that they want to mm-hmm. tell, and requires these specific characters. Like, okay, you've got a choice between these characters. All of you choose, but these are the characters that you have available, rather than letting your character, rather than letting the players choose. But we've been, I think we've touched on that a little bit, where like that can work in certain situations. But like, I think we've already been DMPC. In the pod, no, like specifically, like players, here are the character, here are the char- specifically the characters you have available. Either whether it's just classes or like fully fleshed out, here are the character, here's everything involved down to like the smallest little detail. Pick which one you like best. Like we've talked about how like that has its place, Mm -hmm. but generally is kind of like a very once like it's 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 lightning in a bottle. Yeah, but just like for the extreme uh, waffle of the party, who just the person who's just got a real deep seated fear of commitment, even down to their their tabletop role playing character, if needs must. GMs, ask your GM to make your character for you. Don't give you don't don't let don't let them let you have the choice, have any choice in the matter. If they if you want if you must participate in the game they're running.
1: That's why I'm breeding it out of my uh my players by giving them lots of guardsmen. Yes, that all they have
0: no choice. They get what they get. They get what they get, and they're all going to die,
1: until they don't. Until they don't. But anyway. But anyway. And you can also remind yourself that if you can't decide, the DM's going to choose for you. Right. And that fear
0: of, I don't want the DM to choose, will maybe helpfully. If I can't decide, and I've let and I tried to let fate decide in the form of dice, the dice will ultimately be more merciful than a, than a GM whose game you are delaying by not being able to pick on a character. Yeah. Don't piss off the GM. Y'all. Yeah. yeah. Now, it should be said before we wrap up here that these are not the definitive end-all-be-all solutions to this second-guessing issue. These are just a couple of bits of advice or things that one might try. We so, are not the end-all, be-all source of, like, this is this is right and this is the only right... These are the only ways to do it. Like, no, no this is... I think that's just our reflections on the matter.
1: It's almost like if, you know, things aren't black and white and uh, there's a lot of gray area. Yeah. Who would have thought? A lot of people? <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I can only see in black and white, so... Okay. Can you imagine if life... Like, you could only see how, like, thermal imaging is, where it's
0: just black and white. God, that'd be so disorienting. (laughs) That'd be so disorienting. Especially if you had the the same depth perception. There would never be... Stairs would never have existed. No. Like, the second stairs went beyond five steps, people would start dying. Like, okay, we need three (laughs) steps or less. (laughs) I now want to make a video game where it's all black and white, no gray. And Uh, there is a game about that. We'll talk about this after the podcast, though. Okay. (laughs) Someone's beating you to it, though. Hmm. It's an indie game. But anyway, I can't remember off the top of my head. That's why we need to talk about it after the podcast. Also, this (laughs) isn't the podcast for it. This is General Nurses. i am behind the shield wall. (laughs) Anyway, I think that about does it for what we've got in terms of how to combat second-guessing your character. We do hope this has been helpful for you, dear listeners out there, because this is a very real thing that all of us you're not alone you're not alone you do not struggle alone in your terms of your inability to decide on and invest in the character but hopefully we've given you a bit some food for thought and some helpful advice that you can either take to heart or at least give a try and hopefully it all works some of it works for you yeah but if you've got your own ways of how you've gotten over to second guessing your characters or things that have worked for you that we haven't mentioned Head on over to our Facebook page, shieldwallproductions at facebook.com. Or head on over
1: to our Twitter, the official SWP, whether or not you want to bring us any suggestions you have on how to combat this annoying experience. Or if you just want to shoot the shit and talk as well, I'm happy to do that as well.
0: Indeed, and until next time, dear shieldbearers,
1: we shall catch you later.
0: Toodles!